Good evening again. Last night we talked about the Jewish <clears throat> uh, love for study. I think I forgot my uh, adapter. I'll be back. We talked about the, the Jewish love for study. Um, if you can recall, why, why was that, why is that such an important thing to Jewish people to study the Torah, to study their sources? It's a form of worship, that's right. And we said it's the highest form of worship, um, higher than prayer or anything else. It's a form of worship. <clears throat> Why else, what else did we discuss? How do we undo this eco-blank? There we go. What else did we uh, discuss around that? Why is it important? There was always more to be learned. Yeah. Good, thanks for adding that. Mm -hmm. And that's right, isn't it? There's always more to learn about God. We can never get to the bottom of who he is. Yeah, true. Something else we talked a little bit about last night was the, there was one thing, their learning was one thing that could never be taken from them. So they faced persecution. They were driven from here to there over the years. But that was one thing that could never be taken from them. <clears throat> um, what was the meaning of the word rabbi, or the title? Teacher, master. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the official title, so now there are actually rabbis, you know. Uh, and I think they would say in Jesus' day, that was actually not an official title, um, where they, you know, there was people that were actually rabbis uh, by that title. But I guess there were people known as masters, and I guess the two terms somewhat inter interchange there. <clears throat> um, we talked about how a rabbi would choose disciples, and uh, and he would he would choose the best of the bunch, the ones who were the were the most learned, who were who had done the best in their training and their learning, and then if they didn't make the grade, then they would go into an occupation. And if you recall the story of Jesus, Jesus called his disciples when they were at work, right? They were fishing. Um, and so that tells us a little bit maybe about their age. And plus they were, we also discussed how they, they were not married. Very few of them would have been married. The only one was probably Peter. So they would have been very young, younger than I would have typically imagined, maybe 13 to 18 years old. Peter was probably the oldest, which is interesting because, you know, Peter, so in the Middle East, the elders always get the, the benefit or like they're respected, right? And so Peter is the eldest of the group. And so it could very well be that Peter was actually the spokesperson. And so we, we often give Peter a hard time because he got himself in trouble so often. Well, maybe he was actually just the spokesperson for the group. They all, just, they all worked together and worked on a problem, and then he was the one who you know, said something. I don't know for sure. 
but uh, he was probably you know, the, el- the, the oldest one of the group, <clears throat> and so he may have been the one who spoke up more because of that. Um, and it's interesting as well that Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And so there, again, he, but he was still really young. You know, by then he might have been 23 or so. Um, so very, very young. It's amazing what, God, what uh, Jesus did with those people. Now, the next thing I wanted to discuss a bit was the goal of the rabbi. So the goal of the rabbi was, of course, to teach them. Um, but not just to teach them academically. So here we sit tonight, and I'm kind of teaching, I guess. Or we go to school and we we have teachers and students, right? Uh, And remember, the the word for disciple is student. It's a pupil. So they were pupils of Jesus. They were students of his. Um, And and so they, but they were not just supposed to sit in the classroom and learn, you know, ideas. Uh, There's there's a lot I could say about this, and I don't. I'm not going to take a lot of time because I think it would take too long to unpack, and I'm not quite prepared. But so. Think about, when we think about learning in our culture, what do we think about? How do we learn? What's the way to, if you want to learn something, where do you go to learn it? In our culture. School, right? Yeah, you go to school. If you want to learn how to be a carpenter, you go to trade school. We don't do that here. We're we're kind of... You know, I mean, our people don't as much. But you go to trade school if you want to be a carpenter. You want to learn how to work with computers. You go to this school. You want to, you want to learn physics or whatever else it is. You go to school to learn those things, right? And that's, uh, and so, and if you want to learn philosophy, you go study philosophy, right? And so there, there's, it's a lot in the realm of ideas. Um, but the, the, so that that is, that that is actually much more of a Greek, uh, sort of model. Of learning, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that tonight. I hope I can get through everything I want to say tonight. But uh, so, the the word for scholar is actually a Greek word, and the word actually means. See if I can pull it up here. Um, comes from the Greek to have leisure, to have spare time. <laughs> so remember, the Greeks they would just sit around and talk about ideas, and they have new people come around with ideas, and they just discuss ideas, and they would you know brainstorm or whatever. Um, and so that, that was more of a Greek mindset, whereas in the Hebrew mind, uh, learning was very connected to doing and to living and to obeying. So when a rabbi was calling a group of pupils to follow him, his goal was, yes, to teach them to think and to teach them you know, about God, but the goal was really to, to, to um, shape them into people to, like himself. Like he wanted to teach them how to follow him, how to follow his ways, how to, uh, how to do the things that he did. <clears throat> One man wrote this, can't hardly pronounce his name, but uh, he said, I did not go to the rabbi to learn interpretations of the Torah from him, but to note his way of tying his shoelaces and taking off his shoes. <laughs> uh, in his actions, in his speech, in his bearing, and his faithfulness to the Lord, man must make the Torah manifest. And so the rabbi was supposed to be, he was the, the, the one who embodied the, the Torah, the, the, you know, God's ways. And his students that he called to himself, were, were, they were to follow him and to emulate him. 
Um, so we see that very much in the life of Jesus. You know, he called these pupils to follow him. And what did he do? They walked around and they argued sometimes and fought, but he would just sit them down here and there and say, this is how, you know, he would show them how it's done. And you, you think about the places he took them. There's places he took them where I'm sure they felt very uncomfortable. Um, uh, there was actually an area, the one where, where it talks about the gates of hell, uh, where Jesus took him to this area, which was, this area was actually called the gate of hell. And I suppose a Jewish person didn't feel very comfortable there, but Jesus took his disciples there, you know, and so he, he used every opportunity he could to teach them. <clears throat> and the goal was to teach them to be certain kinds of people. To follow. He said, follow me, right? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Do what I do. Follow the, the things that I do. So, um, I think uh, I'm going to kind of close with that piece of it, the whole idea of, of learning and, and the rabbi. And I'd like to speak more tonight about the political environment in Jesus' day. <clears throat> And then tomorrow night, I'd like to start probably in Matthew 1 and think about how Matthew was speaking to the things that they were facing and to the environment that they were in. But for, for now, I'd like you to go to Matthew chapter 2. Open your Bibles there. And I'm going to start in verse 1. It says there, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now what I'd like to do here is do a little bit of some, some of what we did last night. And I want, to, I want you to look through chapter 2 here. And I would like to list some of the people, some of the groups that we see here in this chapter. Who... Who do we see uh, in chapter 2? Um, so why don't we start? Uh, let's list some names and people that we see here, characters in this story. Herod? Herod? Mm-hmm. Wise. Wise men? Jews? The chief priests? Scribes, governor. governor, where's that? Okay. I think there's more. Mary. Mary. Uh, you said Rachel. Who's that? Joseph in verse 13. The Lord appeared to, appeared to Joseph, yep. Angel. Okay, a lot of people, a lot of things going on. There's more there. We have Jeremy the prophet. Um, we already mentioned Herod. And by the way, this is... Uh, are you familiar with the different Herods in the Bible? I think if you 
really dig, dig into it. There's actually three Herods that are mentioned throughout the Bible. This Herod we're talking about is Herod the Great, uh, as he is known in history. So Herod the Great is who we're talking about here. Later, his son Herod uh, is, is uh, in power, and then there's another Herod after that. So there was three different Herods. <clears throat> the next thing I want us to look for here in chapter 2 is, is the emotions. I, I want us to try to feel what people are feeling in this chapter. What are the, what are the emotional words that, that you see here or expressions uh, in, this, in this chapter? Troubled. What does it say about Troubled. Herod was troubled. Who else was troubled? All Jerusalem. So Herod was troubled, and all Jerusalem was troubled. So, good. What else? Rejoice. Rejoice, where's that? Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. So here we have all Jerusalem troubled, and then we have some people that are really happy, right? There's exceeding, what's it say? Exceeding great joy. I think that's neat. Just such a contrast. Why was Herod troubled anyway? Keep going. What are some other? Diligently. Diligently? What verse is that? Where did you? Okay. So that's in the context of... Okay, mm-hmm. so he says, go search for the child, and he wanted them to search diligently. He was very serious about this. <clears throat> what else? Worship. Worship, where do you see that? Verse 11. 11. So we have the wise men worshiping. Weeping. Weeping. In great mourning. Okay, 16. Exceeding. Now notice those words. This isn't just like they're a little upset. <laughs> um, Herod was exceeding wroth. Now you didn't want to get on the, on the wrong side of Herod the Great. Okay, he was pretty great and he could do with you what he wanted. So if you got on the wrong side of Herod the Great, you probably... Better run for your life or not have it anymore. Um, that's the kind of man he was. <clears throat> there's a lot of emotion here, right? Like, like there's, uh, there's people that are troubled. It says all Jerusalem is troubled. And Herod, uh, primarily. Um, there's people that are very happy. There's worship. There's weeping, mourning. Um, a lot of different feelings going on in this chapter. <clears throat> uh, I like what N.T. Wright says. The gospel of Jesus, the Messiah was born then in a land and at a time of trouble, tension, violence, and fear. Banish all thoughts of peaceful Christmas scenes. <laughs> when we think of Christmas, we think of this nice, peaceful, good feeling, right? Uh, before the Prince of Peace had learned to walk and talk, he was homeless, a homeless refugee with a price on his head. Um, but you can see there's a lot of emotion 
uh, going on in this time period. Now, why would Jesus be born at this time, in the time of Herod the Great, and all these other people? Why, why at this specific time, why did God decide that now's the time for, for Jesus to, 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 or for, to, to be incarnated, to, to uh, what, do you, what do you want to say, start this plan or whatever? Why? Why was now the time? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was the time because God had prophesied in Daniel. Very interesting. I was actually reading some about that today. And I'll get to that. It's fascinating how the, the, the book of Daniel has some very specific prophecies about the things that are going to come to pass. <clears throat> There's a verse in Galatians that says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. And I just think that word, fullness of time, is or that little phrase. There was something about this time period that it was the right time. It was the fullness of time. It was the, it was the time for Jesus to come. But why? What was, uh, the prophecy is one thing, but what else was, was going on? Like, what, why did God say, now's the time? What all was coming together um, in the land during this time? And I want to look at a few things here. <clears throat> um, and... One of them is this. I want you to think about this. So if you were, um, this maybe isn't a good thing to say, good way to say it, but if you were God and you wanted to make sure that your message uh, gets to all of the world without internet, without all the stuff we have today, uh, how would you do it? Right? How do you get, so you bring Jesus in and you want his, you want the message, you want the the good news, right? The evangel- Somebody was, I think it was John, you mentioned the, the meaning of, of good news. Was, it, was, it, was, uh, it was what a herald would come with good news from the battle, right? And so here is God wanting to do something in the world, and he wants the message to get into all of the world. How would you do that? Uh, if you don't have internet, if you don't have email, if you don't have snail mail, if you don't have, I don't know, maybe, how do you get the message out there? So yeah, that, that's a good, you bring a good point there, Calvin, because we had, actually we had the, the Jews scattering before the time of, before the time of Christ, right? They went into captivity in Babylon, Egypt. And that was actually sort of preparation. That was sort of one way to prepare the world for, for this, for uh, the coming of Jesus. So now they were not just bunched together in one place. They were actually spread all over the world and they were settling down. In different, remember we talked about Daniel. He told them, settle down, build houses, for I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, plans, of, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. And so I think that was all a part of preparing for that fullness of time. Like God spread them out and then the fullness of time was going to come. So you mentioned something else that's, that's uh, very key. So travel. So in this, in the time of Jesus, 
um, because of some of the events we'll talk about, people could travel. They could travel pretty much anywhere in the world, in the known world at that time. In the, and, and they could, they, they, they were connected. Um, the Romans actually had built roads, and you can go to Rome today, or you can go to Rome, you can go to uh, places where the Roman Empire um, had their footprint, and you'll still see the roads that they built like thousands of years ago, and they're still there. Like those stones are still there. They don't build them like we do today, but uh, I've, I've seen some of those. I've walked on some of those where the, the, the very stones that they laid down for roads are still there, and so that allowed the spread of the message. If you don't have roads, if all you have is muddy trails, right? I mean, they, they actually had roads with stone, like so you could travel well, easily. Um, they didn't have to, you know, climb over mountains and, and, and muddy trails or whatever, but there was, <clears throat> there was that, um, there, was, there, was, there were roads so that the message could travel from area to area, very good. Anything else that you can think of? Why would now be the time? Language. Language, good. You guys, are, you guys know all this, wow. <laughs> um, language, yeah, so who brought language? Who brought the Greek language? <clears throat> the Greeks, yep. And who brought the Greek influence? Rome, okay. But even before that, there was uh, the Greek influence. So the Ro Rome would have come a little later. Before Rome, there would have been <clears throat> some other Greek influence. Alexander, Alexander the Great, uh, was, was the one who really conquered the whole known world, right? Um, and he, he, he actually only lived till he was like 32 years old. He was basically spent all of his time as a king fighting. And so he basically conquered the known world. Um, and his method basically was to take that, to, to take his good news of Greek uh, civilization to the world and make that a part of, of their of their society. Um, and so one of those things was language. And so when he conquered the world, the world then had a common language. They could all speak Greek. And they, you know, the Jews, like I said, they still had Hebrew in these, and in some of these areas they had Aramaic, but there was a common language. And through that common language, the message could spread. Good, anything else you can think of? What, why is now the time? Okay, good. So, Pax Romana, can you tell us what that is? Mm -hmm. So, good, yeah. After Alexander the Great, we had, there was some of his followers sort of had power, and then there was actually a time when there was a, a group of Jews. So, okay, so Alexander the Great um, conquered the area, and then there were different leaders in his trail who tried really hard to force Greek ways on the, uh, on the population, on the people. And some of the Jewish people bought into it and some didn't. Uh, and some, some bought into it pretty, uh, pretty readily, pretty deeply actually. I was reading, this is a little uh, gory, I was reading that some of them, the Sadducees, were very, um, very, they bought into the Greek mindset, the Greek world, uh, to the point where they wanted to uncircumcise themselves because of the naked baths and the naked, you know, the gymnasium where they would actually go into these places. And so here we have Jewish people wanting to that, like actually integrate into society to that level. And then you had 
people like the Pharisees. And so there was this, this started a, a real fight, right? Um, and, and so there was, a, there was a time when so it was Alexander the Great and that some of them were forcing their ways onto the Jewish people more and more. And at, at one point, uh, they actually wanted to, uh, they were sacrificing a pig on the Temple Mount. And, uh, and that didn't go down very well. And so there was an uprising. And in that period, um, the, the Maccabees came to power. And they then had power for about 100 years. And that was a Jewish uh, uprising. And they took over that area and controlled it for about 100 years. <clears throat> um, and that was before the time of Jesus, again. So that was, I think that ended around 37, something like that, BC. Um, but where were we going with that? that? So then after that, was the, the, Ro, the Roman Empire was in there as well, on the tail end of Alexander the Great of the Greek Empire, uh, which they kept the Greek ways. So the, the Greek remained the language, and so there was still that Greek, they call it Hellenization. Hellenization was sort of the, the uh, worldview, I guess you could say, that, that was controlling the empire. Um, but, but Rome then, uh, basically created a peaceful, um, peaceful society for about 200 years. And we call that the Pax Romana. Uh, and it was from, I don't even have the, I think I have the dates here somewhere, but it was some, somewhere just before the time of Jesus into the early church. And so, if, so think about this. If you want the message to spread, right? If, you want, if God wants his message to spread, it's probably going to spread best if there's a peaceful environment, right? And so you have all these all these pieces kind of coming together. And this is now the fullness of time. And God, at the right time, plants his, his message right in the middle of an important place. Now, I want to show you this yet as well, because I think this is another uh, piece of the puzzle here um, with uh, this whole story. So the land of Israel is kind of between two major, how could you say, uh, empires or whatever. And so it kind of connects Africa and then to the east there, uh, whatever is out here, like Iran, and now would be Iran. But, and so going right through the land of Israel were some major trade routes. And uh, this was the one called the Via Maris. And then there was another one called the King's Highway. Now, again, if you want your message to get to the world, um, how would you get it to the world? So if you place your message in that era, if you place it right in the middle where everybody's going through, they're going to, catch, they're going to hear it when they come through, and then they're going to take it back to their lands, wherever they're going. And so the trade routes uh, were... were um, conduits of information. That was the World Wide Web, right? And so God situated his people right in the middle of the trade routes. Now, I think that's interesting even before the time of Jesus because, so by the way, uh, right up here um, is probably where Matthew was a tax collector. So he probably actually worked on one of these trade routes uh, collecting taxes. Uh, he worked for the Romans, and he, he was a tax collector, and he was from this area up here, which was a major, a major um, trade route. And so Matthew may very likely have worked on one of these trade routes. 
But the trade routes became the, the way that information passed uh, back and forth. Um, if you controlled a trade route, you controlled the wealth, and you controlled information and how it passed. You could take information or spread it out to the world just by being situated at, that at the right location. Um, I think this is significant and interesting even before the time of Jesus uh, when, when, the 12, when, the tw when the tribes of Israel were, uh, were, had, had their inheritance there. And I want you to, to look at these two names right here. Can somebody tell, tell me who were those two sons? They were Joseph's two sons. And who was their mother? What's her name? Asna. And who was she? She was... I think she was Pharaoh's daughter, right? Priest, there we go. Yeah, something like that. She was Egyptian, right? I don't know. I just think that's fascinating. That, like, God... I think God shows us his heart here. Uh, sometimes we think it's just about the Jewish people, you know, or we, and I think here we get a picture that, I say just about the Jewish people, we put a lot of emphasis on that, but I think this gives us an early picture that God's heart is for Egypt. God's heart is for all people, and he places these Egyptian sons right smack dab in the middle of the inheritance. I just think that's neat. <laughs> I think that's a, a really interesting um, observation. All right, so uh, you guys got ahead of me. So Alexander the Great brought Hellenism. Uh, some of the things that came with that were education, entertainment, leisure. Um, our family traveled in, the, in, in that area once in Rome, and we visited the Colosseum. That was an interesting, wow, interesting experience. Now, the Colosseum was built about 70 years, I think it's 70 A.D., not long after Jesus, right? In the Colosseum, with its, it, it, it could seat like 80,000 people. And they would have shows in there. Like, I don't know, what did they say? Every day? I think they said there was 1.4 million people died in that Colosseum. Something like that. Fighting, live battles. Um, uh, it was unbelievable standing there. It just about gave you the creeps. I mean, it just about made you sick. Thinking about all that happened right there in that place. And they, they would have times of the year where there was certain times where they had shows like day after day after day after day. I think it was like they had this one time when there was like, I forget how many days of like holiday and all they would do is go to shows and, you know, watch this kind of stuff. And 80,000 people would fill that place. Um, <clears throat> but that was the entertainment side. So entertainment was huge in that, in that uh, era. And then we have the philosophy and education, also a big part of of their world. Um, and I already mentioned this, Greeks increasingly forced their ways on the world that they controlled. This is a theater in Ephesus. Um, and you see these kind of things all over the Middle East, all over that part of the world. It's amazing. You'll, you'll, you'll find them in, in a lot of cities, these, these Roman uh, theaters. <clears throat> Some of them are huge. This one, I think, seats like 20,000 people or something like that. And they're, they're incredibly designed. You can stand at the bottom and talk in a normal voice, and you can hear all the way up. You know. They're designed in a way that, that the sound carries really, really well. This, actually, this sort of represents the, the whole thing of um, education and learning and philosophy. 
This was the library in Ephesus. Ephesus was an amazing city. It was un unbelievable. It was just incredible. The, the architecture and uh, what, that, what, what it looked like. <clears throat> um, so anyway, I talked about the Maccabees already. They ruled for 103 years until 37 BC. And they really, and, and they, um, one of the writers of the Maccabee story talks about how that it was a struggle between Hellenism and Judaism. Uh, and that Greek influence versus the, the Jewish thought. Um, important, that should say, groups. We have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, well, I need to work on my spelling there, Sadducees, the Zealots, and the Essenes. Now, we are familiar with some of these people, but the Pharisees, um, they were, I think I already mentioned it, they were the ones who really uh, wanted to be separate from Greek society. They wanted to, uh, they, they were against Hellenization. Whereas the Sadducees, they were, um, they were sort of wanting to fit in with that. The Zealots were, they were kind of uh, radicals. They, they thought that they should overthrow the uh, Romans through force, and so they would stage these spectacular attacks on Roman, um, Rome, important Roman people in, in broad daylight, you know, front, in important events, and just and, and kill them. Um, that's what they like to do. And so their thought was to overthrow the Romans by force. The Essenes, none of these guys liked the Romans, okay? Well, the Sadducees did, sort of. They, they were kind of, uh, they were in, in bed with them, more or less. Um, the Essenes, they were a group who actually went out into the desert and sort of separated themselves from everything. If you're familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were the ones who, who sort of preserved those. They would copy the scrolls, um, and there's some interesting stories there. And then we had the Herodians, and I, I'm not exactly sure. I think John could tell us more about them, but I think they were a group more, more connected to Herod the Great. Um, I'm going to... Go on, and I want to talk a little bit about Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great was a fascinating guy. Uh, he was born Jewish. He had a Jewish, uh, I think, half Jewish, and he was he was made the king of the Jews, or he was uh, he was put in that position by Rome. And in 37 BC, he was confirmed as by the Romans as king, and he married the granddaughter of the high priest. Uh, to legitimate, or to, to legitimize, whatever you want to say, his, his, uh, his rule. And so um, he married, so his, his wife was Mariam, and I'll say Mariam, I'm not exactly sure if that's the, uh, the, right, the, the right pronunciation. He had several wives, probably. But eventually he executed her, uh, or he killed her, and, but when he did that, he, he sort of went crazy, and he would, they said he would call for her, and frequently lament for her in the most indecent manner. He would order his servants to call for her as if she were still alive and could still hear them. Um, so he had, his, he had this wife killed, and he had two of his sons killed, actually. One of them he thought was trying to take over the, take his, his place, and so he had him killed. And then one of his sons was in prison, and as Herod was on his deathbed, he thought he heard them say that he had died, and so he started yelling to let him out of prison. And he didn't like that very much, so he had him killed. Uh, another thing that he did is on his deathbed, he, he said that they should gather all the men from, uh, from uh, a local city, Jericho. They're supposed to gather all the men from Jericho, all the important men from Jericho, 
And on his death, they were supposed to kill all of them because he wanted to make sure there was mourning in the land when he died. Uh, and they gathered them all together but didn't actually kill them, um, thankfully. He was also a great builder. Uh, he, this was, I think, the, the Herodian Palace. It was actually on top of this mount here. Um, this is actually real close to Bethlehem. And uh, it was the third largest, I think it was the third largest palace in the world. It's huge. Uh, and he had like huge swimming pools and all of that. Uh, he built incredible things. Like he would build, <laughs> um, he built, he rebuilt the, the temple. And they say that there's actually stones in these walls right here. And this is the Wailing Wall that are, are so big, we don't even have equipment in our day that can manage them. Um, so how he did that, who knows? We, we don't know. But he was, he was a bit eccentric. Uh, he was powerful. And he built a lot of things. <clears throat> now, remember, if we go back to verse 1 in, in Matthew 2, it says, now, in the day in, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. So, and we, we read how he was deeply troubled with all Jerusalem. And you think about this, like why in the world was he threatened by a little baby? Why was King Herod, this powerful builder who could control the whole, like not the whole known world, but that area, he, he was powerful. He was connected to the people who controlled the known world. Why was he afraid of a little baby? Why was Jesus a threat to him? And I just think that's interesting. And I think it's also encouraging, exciting, amazing that Herod left. Herod's gone. We don't know much about him anymore. Um, his followers, there probably aren't any more Herodians around. But the followers of Jesus, the people in his kingdom, under his reign, are growing every day. And uh, his kingdom is alive and well. Um, but Herod's is finished. All right, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. And I think it's really interesting how God brought a lot of pieces together in the world, politically, uh, to prepare the way for his message to get out into all the world. And I think it's also interesting that the Roman world was in many ways, like our world. Sometimes we think there's no hope for our world, right? We're just like, oh, these people are so evil. God, uh, I don't think we've seen much yet <laughs> compared to Rome. Uh, there was just a lot of wickedness. Um, and if God can penetrate that, I wonder what he wants to do in our world. All right, that's my closing thought. Let's pray. Father, we would really love to see you move in our world. And Lord, may it be the fullness of time again where you would move in great ways. You would move nations, you would move kingdoms, you would move your people um, as instruments of peace and reconciliation and light so that more people would come to know you as the Prince of Peace. Thank you for the way that you control nations and that you orchestrate events so that your message can reach the world. We love you, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, break time.